Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, Cassidy. How are you? Good, good. Uh, so this is Dr. Dean Mooney, everybody. Um, he's going to talk a little bit about uh, autism spectrum disorders, Asperger's syndrome, and Turner syndrome. So we got a lot to dive into. So let's get into the question. So first off, can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the work you do for the Turner Syndrome community, the autism community, and for individuals with nonverbal learning disabilities? Yes, I, I'm very happy to. Um, I'm originally from Canada in a place up near Toronto called Guelph, Ontario. I received my bachelor's degree in 1980 from the University of Waterloo. I got my master's in 1983 from Xavier University in Cincinnati, Ohio, and then I completed my doctoral degree in 1991 at the University of Detroit in Detroit, Michigan. I'm licensed in the state of Vermont as a psychologist as well as a school psychologist and am nationally certified as a school psychologist. Um, I've been lucky enough to um, work with people who have written several books on nonverbal learning disabilities um, and worked with a lot of people who have published in the area. As far as autism, Asperger's, and uh, Turner syndrome, well, with regard to Turner syndrome, I actually started working with the TS community back in 2003 um, at their national conference and sit on their medical advisory board right now. With autism, I sit on um, a couple of boards locally and nationally. And um, uh, with, Asper uh, with autism and Asperger's syndrome, I also, um, and I guess it would also be with Turner syndrome, I uh, run a summer camp, obviously not going on this year, um, but run a summer camp for individuals with um, nonverbal learning disabilities, um, Asperger's syndrome and high functioning autism. I don't know if that's enough for you or if you want more. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, um, what are the similarities and differences between Asperger's syndrome, autism spectrum disorders, and nonverbal learning disabilities? Well, as you probably know, and most of the community would know, um, autism and Asperger's syndrome from a diagnostic point of view no longer exist. They're all yeah. under the uh, what's called autism spectrum disorder. And I have to tell you, I have a problem with that. I believe they are very different things. Um, at the time when um, the change was made, there was actually research going on in the professional community that was going to, that was suggesting that there's probably seven or eight different types of autism out there and that it, instead of being bundled together, we should be breaking it down into smaller groups to understand it. I'm one of those too. I see a huge difference um, between especially autism and Asperger's syndrome. Um, typically, individuals with Asperger's syndrome have, um, they tend to learn by language and um, a lot of words and they speak very well 
and their visual spatial abilities seem to be an area that is impacted negatively. With autism, almost the polar opposite, where what we have is we have somebody whose visual spatial abilities are intact, and what we tend to see is more language problems. What they do share are problems in the social sphere. And so that's how they're similar. Now, nonverbal learning disabilities is kind of a, a different area because it is a neuro, um, psych, uh, neuropsychological diagnosis that underlies different conditions, including Turner syndrome and Asperger syndrome. So what we found is that virtually all individuals, Asperger syndrome and Turner syndrome have a nonverbal learning disability. So what you have is you can have Asperger syndrome and a nonverbal learning disability, because again, that is a neuropsych diagnosis, and you can have Turner syndrome and a nonverbal learning disability. Again, the NLD is the neuropsych diagnosis. The Turner syndrome is a genetic diagnosis. Yeah, that's very interesting. You know, I told you I was diagnosed with Turner syndrome at around nine days old, and I was diagnosed with um, Asperger syndrome at around 17. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, um, and, and I would say that a large percentage, or I shouldn't say a large percentage, but certainly a, a significant percentage of uh, women with Turner syndrome have been diagnosed with Asperger's disorder. I'm not sure it really applies. I think it more describes a nonverbal learning disability. Um, again, the Asperger syndrome is diagnosed based on behaviors. That's how we diagnose it. Yeah. There's no, there is no test for Asperger's disorder. It is just behaviors that are exhibited. And what's interesting is the behaviors for Asperger syndrome are virtually the same as behaviors found in individuals with a nonverbal learning disability. So one could make the argument that we're really talking about the same elephant just from different angles. Um, Neuropsychologists look at it from one point of view and diagnosticians, psychologists look at it from the Asperger's point of view. So yes, I certainly believe that um, you probably, or I, I know that you are diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. Um, and there's a debate professionally as to whether or not you can actually have both. But uh, uh, that's for another day. Yeah. Uh, so I know you touched on this a little bit, but do you think autism spectrum disorder or Asperger's syndrome is connected to Turner syndrome? Are you seeing more girls and women with Turner syndrome and autism and Asperger syndrome than before? Well, I'm not seeing more. What I am seeing is that that question's being raised. Um, again, the problem with autism spectrum disorder is that it's a very big basket, and we are now diagnosing um, our, our clinic, uh, Maple Leaf Clinic does a lot of diagnostic um, evaluations for individuals on the autism spectrum disorder. And what we're seeing is because they've changed the diagnostic criteria that a lot of individuals now qualify who would not have qualified previous, uh, previously. It's, it's very interesting. 
Now with Turner syndrome, yes, um, some of the some of the individuals, if we looked at the behaviors, might qualify with an autism spectrum disorder, or in the old days, what is known as Asperger syndrome. Um, again, the difficulty is, and that I have a problem with, is that we tend to treat individuals with autism all the same. And you probably know you've got great verbal memory, um, and that visually you may struggle more where there's a huge portion of individuals who I work with who don't have that problem, who have autism, who struggle with language. And so again, we're, we're talking about the same diagnosis and yet it's a very different population. But there certainly is yeah. a relationship between the behaviors that are seen in, Turner, in women with Turner syndrome and what used to be known as Asperger's disorder. And yeah. go ahead. Yeah, um, I have visual spatial awareness issues and I don't drive. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's another problem issue with me is that, you know, my visual spatial judging distances and stuff like that is very difficult for me. So that's why I don't drive. I, so I know a lot of individuals, you know, have trouble with that. And, and again, women with Turner syndrome or girls with Turner syndrome, they're obviously variable as far as the various strengths and weaknesses. And so, yes, a, yeah. a large percentage of, of women with TS do struggle with visual spatial issues. And as a result, they have trouble driving. Um, and so that's, uh, again, the very opposite of individuals who have classic autism, where their visual spatial abilities tend to be intact, if not even superior, and their language issues struggle. You probably don't have many language problems, do you? No. <laughs> no, I bet you, I bet you're very, well, I can hear you, you're very articulate and you probably even enjoy speaking. Yeah. yeah that's very fun. Yeah. Uh, so I know nonverbal learning disability is common in girls and women with Turner syndrome. So why is that? And are there studies to support its relationship to Turner syndrome? Yes, there are studies out there to support um, the diagnosis of a nonverbal learning disability. And again, that is best diagnosed through a neuropsychological evaluation. Okay, there should not be, um, it should not be diagnosed by a psychologist without testing. Um, and again, to find out the various um, levels as well, there's not really levels but severity of the various areas um visual spatial mm -hmm. ability executive functioning ability that sort of thing the the probably one of the first um uh research studies that was conducted on nonverbal learning disabilities found in um, turner syndrome was by joanne rovet or rovet r-o-v-e-t it's contained in Dr. Byron Rourke's book, The Syndrome of Nonverbal Learning Disabilities, if you want to reference that. Um, it's yeah. a, a very good and very thorough article. But there have been other articles that looked at that relationship also. What I would love to do now, if given enough time and money, would be to do a study looking at 
the different types of Turner syndrome, since we're now better at diagnosing various types based on the genetics, um, mosaic versus classic for one example, um, I think, and what I've seen in some of the data is that there seem to be not only personality differences, but differences in strengths and weaknesses in uh, between those two groups. Again, I have not done a study. This is just a suggestion that if there's somebody out there who wants to collaborate, I would love to work on that. But yes, yeah, there, is a very, yeah there is a very strong relationship between Turner syndrome and individuals with nonverbal learning disabilities. Yeah, that's interesting. So what solutions or accommodations can we apply in the workplace for someone with nonverbal learning disability in relation to their weaknesses in executive processing and expression? Well, those that's a very good question. You tend those are probably the three biggest areas executive functioning, processing speed, and written expression. Those areas are probably the areas that impact um, uh, employment the most. Um, I just finished working with um, an individual who struggles with processing speed. And one of the accommodations that we came up with was once they let their employer know that they had Turner syndrome, that they needed what was referred to as 504 accommodations or the Americans with Disabilities Act accommodations. Um, and I ended up writing a letter and coming up with some solutions as far as here's what you should be looking for. And among those is just additional time, simply given additional time. What, we've, what I've come to realize is in the areas that women with Turner syndrome struggle, if they give themselves enough time, they can learn to do virtually anything. However, mm -hmm. a lot of them just aren't patient enough with themselves. Um, yeah. So what we what we see is you're going to need at least one and a half to two times the the additional time to um, learn what you need to learn and to get the sequencing down. And that also has to do with processing speed. Again, what typically happens is um, women with Turner syndrome process at a, at a slower rate, but eventually they get there. Okay, it's kind of the turtle yeah. or the hare kind of race. Eventually, mm -hmm. they get there, and they usually are right in their answers. But if they're rushed, um, then they become uh, anxious. And what we know with anxiety is that can lower a person's IQ temporarily, and they don't process as well, and they don't think as well. Okay? Yeah. And as far as written expression goes... There are a lot of accommodations that can take place nowadays. Um, voice to text software. There are pens that can help take notes um, out there. There's there's a lot of accommodations that. And again, we when we do an evaluation at our clinic, we we put a lot of those accommodations in for not only now but in the future. Um, one of the other things I would suggest is if. Um, there is a woman with Turner syndrome who is struggling finding employment that they connect with the vocational rehabilitation um, system in their state um, and that they find a counselor who is willing to learn about Turner syndrome 
And then it's amazing how successful they suddenly can be. Um, things turn around fairly quickly when, when the appropriate accommodations are put into place. Executive functioning, I have to tell you, um, to work on executive functioning, all you need are people around you to help you with organization. Again, what I find is women with Turner syndrome can um, do very specific things. If I throw a whole bunch of stuff at you at the same time or kind of expecting you to be what's referred to as a holistic processor, you're probably not going to be as successful as if I put everything in order and I say, do this first, then do this second, then do this third, then do this fourth. You're going to be successful at that. But if I say, yeah. here's the job figure it out, you're going to have a problem. Yeah. And so, it, it, the again, these things are not that difficult, and most employers should, should be willing to do these because of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And the fact of the matter is the other thing that I have seen is, I have to tell you, and again, no research, this is just more what I've seen, is that women with Turner Syndrome can be incredibly loyal to their jobs and their employer. Um, that's the kind of thing a lot of employers grow to love about, about these women. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, you mentioned anxiety, which leads me to my next question. Yep. What is your advice for adults with NVLD and our Turner syndrome who struggle with anxiety, depression, and motivation? Well, I think the motivation, uh, low motivation uh, results from anxiety, depression. What we know is that, unfortunately, um, when women with Turner syndrome are almost hardwired um, from birth to experience anxiety. The earlier the onset of the anxiety, the measurable anxiety, the chances are the worse it's going to get in life. And so these women need to uh, work with early on with their parents to get this under control. Um, and again, working with a therapist who understands what's referred to as cognitive behavioral therapy is probably one of the best things you can do. At some yeah. point in time, there may also be a need for medication. Um, again, more in that at the, or during those times when anxiety is at a high level examinations, starting new jobs, that sort of thing. Uh, medication may be a necessity, just to set that out there. It's not something I, I, I would rather see people not on medications, if they, obviously, if they don't need it. But for some women with TS to be successful, they do need to look at taking medication. Now, with that said, what there is, there's a lot of studies nowadays that show that uh, people with high anxiety can actually get it under control by doing things like keeping them feel themselves physically active and mentally active. Um, and when I say mentally active, I'm talking about doing things like meditation um, and physically active things like yoga or um, activities that are going to help them. Eating right. Again, none of these are really... Um, I mean, mind-blowing activities. These are things of just living well and living right and living healthily. And most women with Turner syndrome can then reduce the anxiety. Now with depression, what we know, especially with women with Turner syndrome, is depression will eventually kick in 
if they don't deal with their anxiety. Eventually, yeah. um, they, they felt anxious for so long and can't seem to control it if they haven't done anything about it. And it's almost as if they give up and depression kicks in. Well, you can imagine what that does for motivation too then. And so yeah. when I see a woman with Turner syndrome depressed, I know they've been experiencing anxiety for a really long time and that it's just worn on them and that it's just kind of made them feel like I can't do anything and they feel really out of control. And so those are the times when depression kicks in that I really worry. And that's when I then start to say, we're now underwater with anxiety and depression. We need to use medication to get ourselves above water to take a breath and be able to work. Okay. I kind of use the drowning metaphor. If you're drowning in anxiety and depression, medication is probably a necessity until we can teach you to swim metaphorically in this sea of anxiety. Yeah. Once, once we get you above and able to actually think and work, then what happens is we start to see improvements and several of the women I've worked with actually have gotten off medication and are feeling much more in control of their lives, which is just a wonderful thing. It's, it's great to see and they feel much better about themselves. And guess what? Their motivation for engaging in society is, um, uh, it's, it's, increased several fold and so they're they feel motivated they feel in control and they go out and they just attack the world and are incredibly successful so that's yeah the relationship there yeah that's great you know that's great information uh so last question yes what are three coping skills or tips you would suggest for adults who grew up undiagnosed with nonverbal learning disability? Well, again, it's much the same as I would say for women with Turner syndrome, such as yourself, is think of yourself in three different ways. You have to look at after yourself mentally, physically, and socially. And what happens is all of those have to be worked on at the same time. Probably the easiest, and again, if you can become physically active, uh, you, uh, those women with Turner syndrome need to worry about their heart and several other things, but, so they need to work with their doctor. But if they can become physically active, um, I would encourage that. And it has to be done on a daily basis because what I've seen is if it's not sustained, if you don't keep it up, you quickly fall behind again and we see the anxiety going up. So the first and easiest way is to be eating well and to getting out there and exercising. And that's hard. A lot of people with nonverbal learning disabilities or Turner syndrome, um, they, they don't enjoy it. They typically don't like to get out there and sweat and exercise. Um, <laughs> that's, that's one of the hardest things that I run into. I have to tell you, um, well, if we take care of the physical piece, then we're going to work on, the next is working on the mental piece. The mental piece is partly um, uh, impacted by the physical piece. If you are physically active, you actually start feeling better. But I also need you to eat properly, okay? And watch okay. what you eat and eat a good 
um, diet and what we start seeing is they start feeling better. I have to tell you, a lot of people with Turner syndrome and um, NLD also, though, when they're starting to feel anxious or sad, tend to start self-isolating. They pull back from society rather than pushing out into society. And this is probably the hardest thing to do, which is getting more and more social. I need you, anybody I work with, one of the things I need them to do is get out there and start volunteering. I don't care if it is through an organization in your community, your local church, I really, whatever it is, um, but I need you to get out there, do some volunteer work. Giving to others is one of the best ways to start feeling better about yourself. And it's also a social activity. We also know that people with uh, Turner, women with Turner syndrome and nonverbal learning disabilities are pretty darn good at theater. You've got great memories for words and typically you love acting. Now, I'm not suggesting you go for the starring role right off, but one of the things I do request of most people I work with is go out and join the little theater in the community. Because what happens is you start, and, and you can work in wardrobe, you can work in props, you can work wherever. And then eventually, chances are, you'll go and join the chorus and then do a bit part on stage. And then maybe eventually you'll take a lead part. I don't know. But what I do know is that is an incredible social opportunity for you. And the more social you get, the better you feel about yourself. And coming from a family where theater has been very big, I can tell you, it's a very accepting community of individuals who struggle in different ways. Um, the theater community is probably who I lean on the most. Um, so look after yourself physically, do things like walk. That's probably the easiest thing is get out and walk every day. Um, if you can run, if you can do yoga, if you can do horseback therapeutic horseback riding, I don't care whatever you do. I want you to work your core strength. That's going to change you mentally. The other thing with mentally, I would suggest is look at, um, possibly, um, getting into therapy and developing a relationship with a therapist, finding a therapist you like. Usually it will take well, about four different therapists to figure out who you can really work with. And what happens is I want you to develop a relationship so that when things do start going bad, that person will be there for you. And you can access them quickly and say, Doc, you know what? I need to come in. Um, and so what I always recommend is find a therapist and visit them at least monthly so that you keep that relationship up with a therapist, but also the therapist can keep an eye and kind of take your mental temperature as far as how you're doing and see the patterns of functioning um, and make recommendations. So I, I love having um, people working with therapists on a regular basis. Um, it's certainly not a waste of time or money at, at anyway, in any way. And also getting out there socially. Those are probably the three things, physical, mental, social. You need to have all three of those um, activated in your life and be working on them. The minute that you start yourself pulling back on any of them, red flags should go up and you should lean on people around you to get help. Yeah, that's great advice. I love that. 
Dr. Mooney. Uh, well, it's been great. I really enjoyed this, and you had some really great advice and information and insights. So, I really appreciate you being on my podcast. Well, well, you know, well I love. Well, it. thank you. <laughs> and one of the things that I tell all of the Turner women with whom I work, and whether it's parents of kids with Turner syndrome, don't be afraid to give our clinic a call. Again, it's Maple Leaf Clinic. 802-446-3577. I do a lot of free consultations. I would also um, suggest that they connect with the National Turner Support, um, Turner Syndrome um, Society of the United States. Um, get involved with other Turner, uh, other, other women with Turner Syndrome. It is a, a great organization. Um, and, uh, again, stay active in the field. Okay. Thank you so much. Well, That's great. Well, thank <laughs> you very much. You take care. Ken. <laughs> you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.